We are in part two of our series through the book of First John, and this series is entitled Community on Mission. Community on Mission. Today's message is entitled Broken to Whole, and I want to recap some of what Pastor Brian shared last week because Although I would love to dream that you all have done nothing but dwell on last week's sermon all week long, just constantly listening to it every day, I am quite certain that is not the truth. Most of you are still trying to remember what church you're a part of. I understand that. I understand that there's a, what book are we going through? So let me recap, get everybody back on the same page so that we can move forward. Pastor Brian said that we all receive a similar calling to that which God gave Abraham back when he called the father of the Jewish people. In essence, God said to him this, Abraham, I'm going to make you part of something great. And the greatness will be found not in your individualism, but your participation in a community that has me at the center. Here's the deal. When you get saved, you become part of a family. You become part of a massive family, time-wide, worldwide. There is only one bride of Christ. There is only one body of Christ. We are all in this together. Individually, believers are precious. Collectively, we are powerful. Therefore, we need to be together. We were built for community. Right? Not just for our needs, but for effectiveness and advancement to the kingdom of God. Christianity is a communal faith. What that means is, is that we only make sense together. Once again, uh, Pastor Brian highlighted this. I'll highlight for it again. And it's this. Spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit equips us with for power do not make sense in isolation. You can't have the gift of teaching if you're all alone in a room. Teaching your stuffed animals is weird. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you have the gift of prophecy. Who are you prophesying to if there's no one around? Having the gift of helps with nobody else is lame. Make sense? So all the gifts that you have been given actually find meaning when we're collectively together. Unfortunately, our society drives us towards individualism. I need you to resist the craving of our public and society to what? Isolate out. We are all obsessed with making more money so we can afford more things that allows us to isolate even more. Once again, it usually starts that those that are a little bit more economically challenged be a little bit closer to the inner city for options. And then the more money we get, where do we go? We move out and then we move out. We go out from the suburbs. Some of us can even afford to move out further than that. And the idea is I want to have enough money so I can go into my bubble. I wanna close my door. I don't wanna have to rely on my neighbors and I never have to see anybody. Okay. That is where our culture wants to lead. I'm asking you that even when you have the ability to, I still need you to engage. I still need you to be around the rest of us. I need you to get a little bit messy by being involved with one another, making friendships, and yes, even getting your heart broken, 
right? Because that's what happens when you're around real people. So I'm encouraging us to be a family more and more and more. Pastor Brian said this, you're walking into a church of honesty. He said, every single person who walks in here, including me, walks here with baggage. Okay? So once again, we believe in authenticity and transparency. We're just being open. You have walked into a church of broken people. We are all in process. We are not interested in your judgment as much as your prayers and help and support. We are interested in being able to be who we really are. We're going to talk about that an awful lot today. And then he shared this. We were built for mission. He said, quote, God has built us to participate in his work in the world in a way that aligns with how he has gifted us. And a big part of living on mission is asking God, how have you designed us to participate in your work in this world? Remember, our job is not to be creative, to think of something God hasn't thought of. Our job is to be obedient to what he is consistently revealing from his heart to ours, yeah? All right, then finally, I think this is super important. Pastor Brian said, a life of faith really isn't going to work for you until you can really believe deep down in your bones that there is a God in heaven who loves you. He is not disappointed with you. He's not angry. He loves you and he wants what's best for you. His response to your screw-ups is not frustration, it's mercy and grace. Obedience is really, really difficult if you don't believe God loves you. The way that Christianity works is that his love pours down into us and then we are able to then be empowered to love on other people. It's got to run that way. Sometimes we just need to come to church and have constant reminders that you are a child of God and you're loved. Sometimes the world messes with us. It tells us our identity is something that it's not and we need to get re-racked. I'm going to encourage you that there's a million reasons why you need to be in church, but one of those reasons is a constant affirmation of who you are in Jesus. I don't want anyone taking that away from you. I want to remind you all the time that God loves you and God loves you deeply and God loves you totally. God never gets tired of you. God never diminishes in his intensity of how much he loves you. When you get bored, he doesn't get bored. When you get tired, he doesn't get tired. When you, what, check out from him, he doesn't check out from you. Amen. He is the good, healthy, mature, everlasting God. Therefore, he is going to be able to love you total at all times. Amen. When you mess up, God loves you. When you are doing awesome, God loves you. I just need you to know, he is all about you. He loves you. God, the Bible says that he loves the world so much, and he's talking about people that don't even like him. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would never die but have eternal life. Amen? All right, that is the God that we serve. Therefore, we need to know this. We need to know that there is a concept called confession and i want to talk about confession anybody visit the confessional booth out in the lobby anybody do that anybody that would there isn't one so that would have been weird <laughs> so 
I'm pretty sure that was just a stall in the rest. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> I wish we had a confessional. And I'm going to tell you why. Now, I don't believe in the traditional Roman Catholic view of confession, which states that when we confess before God, it is more helpful to have someone that's a little more holy, a little bit more prepped, that we might be able to get our mail to God through that person. That is called a vicar, someone that vicariously stands in God's place. You then confess to them. They then can absolve your sins, and they can direct you either to the saints or they can direct you up to God. Now, here's why I don't believe that. I believe that because Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, the curtain was ripped in two. And it wasn't ripped by man, it was ripped by God. It was ripped from the top to the bottom. And what that means is now that which was once separate has now been made accessible to all. Therefore, I believe that every one of us can go direct, right? So we can go direct. That's awesome. Praise God. Yeah? All right. However, here's why I wish we had a confessional. Because, here's, imagine how beautiful this would be, that you come into church and you can sit down and say, I have some things on my chest I need to get out. You then can sit across from somebody that is wise and healthy and what, mature and somebody that loves God and has the power of the Holy Spirit. And you begin to share out what is going on in your world. You're dealing with stuff, you're putting it out on the table, you're moving the pieces around, and that person can say, first of all, I hear you. Second of all, you know what? I'm going through process too, but here's what I want to remind you of. You have a God that loves you deeply, that as you have shared today, I want you to know that the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How beautiful would it be to sit across from somebody that reminds you of truth and reminds you of identity and says, you know what? That sin you're a part of because of Jesus is no longer you. That is not your identity. That is not something you need to lean into. That is something that Jesus is rooting out of you. I don't, I just want to tell you, I don't believe God sees you that way. And I think he's making you into something different. How beautiful would that be to have that? So I wish in some ways that we did have a confessional. But here's the point. Anytime we ever want to own up and be honest about who we are, Jesus is waiting there to help make us whole. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Confession paves the way to wholeness. Confession paves the way to wholeness. We are all broken. We are all in process, but God's not done with us yet. He is making us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. If you haven't already, turn with me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. Super easy to find. You drop the Bible open into the middle and then just scan all the way to the end. It might be easy if you just back up from the end and just go Revelation backward, right? Because it's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. All those books are super tiny. Revelation's big, so just back up left from there. 1st John chapter 1, verse 5. We're only going to do six verses today. 
So let's dig into them one at a time. It begins like this. John the Beloved said, This is the message that we heard from him, meaning Jesus, and now we're proclaiming it to you. So what's the message? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What does that mean? Light means that which is pure, that which is good, that which is holy, that in God it's all good. There's nothing that's messed up about him. There's nothing dysfunctional about him. There's nothing yucky about him. You never have to question God's motives. You know, one of the problems that we have in relationships with each other is that it's hard to trust one another. We have so much posturing and masks put on and we have so many different ways that we do things and I'm afraid of you and you're afraid of me. I just need you to know that God is 100% pure. Everything he does is not only right, it's best. What that means is that when something happens that you do not understand, you must not allow your heart to lean into the God must hate me. Stop. That's not for you. Uh, well, you know what? Well, God must not care. Or God must stop questioning God's motives. He is pure. He is light. If there is something you don't understand, you just simply don't understand it. It doesn't mean that God is wrong. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God cannot demonstrate his love towards us any more than he already has. It's full and complete, right? Okay. God is pure light and light exposes what is dark. Ah, so this is interesting. Wherever God is, total reality is, and therefore he wants to show things that are in the dark. Now, for most of us, we find that horrifying. We, it's in the dark because we put it in there, right? We don't want anybody else to know about those things. But is that all that light does, that light exposes? Doesn't light also illuminate? For example, you go into your room late at night. What's the first thing you're going to do? Turn on the light. When you go into some dark place, you carry what? A flashlight. Why? Because you're trying to illuminate so that you do not stumble and hurt yourself. So that you can see all the options that are available to you. You see, we are constantly dealing with light in this world. Why? Because it helps make everything clear. Jesus came into the world. He said, I am the light of the world. In other words, whatever I share, that is how it is. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell you why I created you. I'm going to tell you how much I love you. I'm going to tell you how you ought to operate. That is Jesus. But here's what's fascinating. He then said to his followers, you are the salt and light of the world. Unfortunately, too many Christians only think about the exposing part, and they think their job is to expose everybody else's sin and tell everyone what they're doing wrong. That is not at all what the point was. Christians are supposed to be the illumination. They are supposed to be the ones to say, you seem troubled, let me tell you the truth. You seem to be lost, let me show you the way. You seem to be hurting. Let me show you to the healer. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
that the church's job is to be attractional, to be a, a, what, a city on a hill so that when someone is groping about in the darkness, they can look up and say, at least there, there is light. That's who we're supposed to be. Ah. Let's look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, in other words, if we say we have a relationship with God, if we say that we are Christians, if we say he knows us and we know him, if we say that he loves us and we love him, if we say that we are followers of his while we walk in darkness, we're lying and do not practice the truth. You see, claiming relationship with God comes with accountability. Here's what the rest of us can't handle. When you say, I'm a Christian, but we know you to be a sexual predator, we have a problem. We can't reconcile why you're constantly preying upon women. We don't understand what that means. It causes a dissonance. When you say that you are a Christian, and yet we know that your business practices are sketchy, at best, corrupt at worst, we have a hard time reconciling that our Jesus would be infilling that behavior. So when we claim that we are Christians, there's a certain accountability that comes along with it because people are trying to figure out what God is like by looking at you. So If we say that we have a relationship, but yet we're completely playing games and just doing our own thing, it doesn't work. We cannot be all about ourselves. You see, becoming a Christian says, I've come to the end of myself. I can't handle it anymore. I don't know. I can't solve my eternal life. God, here's my life. And Jesus said, I would love to take that and I would like to trade you mine. I'm going to give you all my righteousness. I'll take all of your unrighteousness. I will give you all my purity. You give me all your sin. When you traded that and you said, I surrender, then your life is no longer all about you. You're now in process of being renewed day by day by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to go. So what he's asking about is, are we living a lie? Are we pretending that we are whole when we are not? Are we pretending that we are Christians when we are not? Are we pretending that everything's good when everything is not? That self-delusion, the idea that Christianity is just an add-on, it's just something you do, it's a little club that you belong to, that's garbage. Christianity is an identity. It is, I'm a new creation in Christ. I have a new way of doing things. I have a new mindset. I have a new spirit. The Bible says that we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We dwell in a whole new reality as Christians. That should have an effect. But here's the problem for most of us. We are afraid of looking at what we've become. We're afraid that once it is brought out of the darkness, it's going to be so ugly, we're going to be horrified, and we're either going to run away or everyone else is going to run away. So we live behind masks. Now, I've shared this a million times because it was so impactful to my life. 
But I read a book many, many years ago called True Faced, and it said the problem with wearing a mask is you can't feel love through a mask. Because any love you receive from other people, if you have a mask on, you say you only love me because that's what you think you see. So your love isn't really for me, it's for the mask. I can't ever take it off because you don't really love me, you don't really know me. And so behind a mask, we die in isolation and loneliness. Right? Pretty powerful, yes? Okay, so we wear a mask because we're afraid of what we're going to see. Here's what I want to encourage you about. When you are a child of God, you do not need to be afraid of what you see. When you look in the mirror and you see ugliness, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the arms of Jesus wrap around you and say, I know it's messed up, huh? We're working on it. We got that stuff. You understand that's not you, right? That when I come at you strong, I'm there to root out the sin that's hard for you. I'm there to try to set you free. So every time I come up on you, I'm actually there to make your life easier. That I'm not saying I don't like you. I'm coming in aggressively to root your sin out. That's all I'm trying to do. When you see yourself, you're in process, my child. I built human beings through the process. Little human beings come into the world from dividing cells. I have a whole process by which you grow up. Why would you assume that once you get saved, everything's going to be just fine the next day? It doesn't work like that. I'm not horrified by your lack of maturity. You're a human being, and my grace is sufficient for you. You see, the more and more we are locked into the identity that we are valuable even if we never did another thing. I want to remind you of this. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. How many of you are parents? Okay, the vast majority of you. The rest of you, you got to pretend here, <laughs> right? When you have a little baby and it's laying on the blanket and it's basically a plant, <laughs> right? You water it, you know, that kind of thing. A plant that poops. You understand what I'm saying? So that's all I'm trying. When you see the little baby lying there doing nothing, it's not mowing the lawn, it's not effective, you know what I'm saying? It's not helping you out with anything, it's not pulling its weight. All six pounds, ten ounces. It's doing nothing, and yet what do you see but absolute value? Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how God looks at you. If you never did another thing, you're still valuable in God. What that allows us to do then is to look in and say, my sin isn't me. That ugliness is not the end of me. You can look fully into it and say, wow, I can't wait for Jesus to get that stuff out. Amen? Amen. I believe that's a better perspective. All right. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, meaning if we walk in honesty and transparency and reality, as he, God, is in the light, then we'll actually have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
You see, our relationship with God affects our horizontal relationships. I want to go back to an example I just shared with you about how we always have something weird about our relationships, that you always have to question other human beings' motives. If somebody says, hey, I want to have coffee with you, you're going to go through a whole litany of why do they want to have coffee. Is something wrong? Do they need something from me? What's going on? And if you're a lady, it's always, is the dude trying to scam on me? What's going, right? You got all these things you got to worry about. You know, one of my favorite things about heaven is that we'll be able to interact in full purity. That if you come to me and you say, hey, Lance, you want to go hiking in the mountains? I don't ever have to question why, because I know you just want to be with me. I know you just think that hiking is fun. Now, let's be real. Hiking is stupid. Okay, God would not have built cars and motorcycles if that's not how he wanted it. So, hiking is simply difficult walking. It's just, anyway, anyway. But let's say, for example, that in heaven there is hiking. Okay, I'll see you guys when you get back. Okay. But do you understand understand what I'm saying? Like we can actually interact and it's just pure me talking with pure you that we can actually just talk about what's fun. We can play Uno. We don't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? Other than the draw four, stuff like that. (laughs) We can just be together. But even though that's in heaven and we're not there yet, shouldn't the church be the best, closest thing Y'all tracking with me? Shouldn't this be the location where we say, listen, we're all still dangerous. We're all still messed up. We're all still sin-based. And so, but shouldn't this be the place where we're more honest, where we're more authentic, where we're more, I get to be the real me, and then you got to interact with it, and we can kind of help each other in that process of sanctification, yeah? I mean, that's where it should be. As we live out the lives God intended, being honest, true, and being who we really are before him, God will do the heavy lifting of bringing wholeness. But let me explain something. It's not until you admit the racism that it's exposed in community to be held accountable and pressured to heal. It's not until the secret sin is brought to light that the darkness begins to dissolve and the power is broken. It's not until we speak truthfully to one another about our intentions that our behavior is modified. You see, when we confess or own up to something, it brings it out on the table and we have to face it. I cannot emphasize to you enough that while you keep it up in your head, anything is possible and you can justify any behavior. As long as we're not saying it, we don't have to come face to face with it. That's why confession is so critical. Okay, here's another side note. There are some of you that are a little perfectionist and you're analyzing what I'm saying and you say, well, pastor, this is where I have a problem. That you're telling me that God, I'm gonna go up to God after I did something terrible to somebody and I'm gonna go up to God and I'm gonna be like, dude, sorry about that. And then he's gonna be like, it's no big deal. I don't think that's how it works, Pastor. Well, let me explain to you. I don't think that's how it works either. Why is cleansing possible? Do y'all know? 
here's the reality. God does not bend his justice. God is not saying that the sin that you committed is no big deal. God isn't letting it go. Then why can he forgive? Because when he checks his chart, someone already paid it. Someone died for that. Someone was penalized for that. Someone was tormented for that. But it wasn't you. It was Jesus on the cross. Therefore, he says, yes, my child, it has been paid. You have been forgiven and cleansed. God's never just letting people go. Somebody's always paying for that. It just doesn't happen to be his children. It happens to be him. Does that make sense? But there's one other element. We've got to keep turning this corner because we can't just be about us and God. It also has to be about us and us. The Bible just said that if we are walking in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. I'm going to read a very famous passage that I think we all read wrong. All right? It's James 5.13. You can just listen to this. You might even have this one underlined in your Bible. This is one of our favorites. Is anyone among you suffering? Well, then let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Boy, that's where we stop. We go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Physical healing, going to the elder board, having people pray over me. Yeah, I love church, right? Here's the problem. You forgot the rest of the verse. There's another line. What's the other line? And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What does sins being forgiven have to do with getting prayed for for my broken leg? What's the follow-up verse? Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why are we confessing sins to one another if we're praying? We only think about that verse of pray for one another that you may be healed. What's the confession of sins part? We seem to keep cutting that out. Well, let me take away the mystery. You see, Jesus always healed in layers, did he not? He healed in layers. We always look at the physical stuff because we think that's the most important. So a guy comes to him and he has leprosy. We said, well, his main problem is leprosy. I disagree with you. His main problem is not leprosy. Leprosy is a side issue. Well, no, it affects his whole life and it's his condition and it's miserable and it's dangerous. And Oh, I'm not saying it's not serious. I'm saying it's a side issue. And Jesus thought the same thing. Why? Can we all agree that Jesus can heal with a thought? Can we all agree on that? Yes. How do we, does he have to be in the room? No. no. Does he have to touch him? No. As a matter of fact, there's a whole bunch of things where he says, go, your servant is healed, and he was healed at that very hour. Do you understand what I mean? So in other words, if Jesus does anything additional than thinking a healing, he's doing another layer of healing. When he healed the leper, how did he heal him? Anybody remember? He touched him. Did he have to touch him? Nope. nope. Then why did he touch him? Because there's another layer of healing. Whenever Jesus does healing, he wants to heal on all the critical levels. 
He wants to heal not just physically, he wants to heal emotionally. He wants to heal mentally. He wants to heal spiritually. Do you remember when the man was lowered down by his friends because he was crippled? What did Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. Because he knew that there was a deeper problem than the guy not being able to walk. See, Jesus is always doing multiple levels. And here's what I'm going to suggest to you. When you come into church, some of you look phenomenal on the outside. You are strong and you are healthy and you're walking without any problems. But emotionally, you're crippled. Inside, you're bent over and you're walking with great difficulty. Some of you are locked up in fear and regret and sorrow and pain and hurt and worry, right? I think that Jesus wants to heal that stuff too. And therefore, I think sometimes when we confess sins one to another, we get it out and we have another Christian look us in the eye and say, I still love you. And we begin to pray for the deeper thing. Confessing to other people matters. One of the other key reasons is because of good peer pressure. Okay? Once again, in your head, you can justify anything, yes? But when you say it out loud, the rest of us get to chime in on it. Okay? So, for example, somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, Lance, I got to get something off my chest. I'm, I'm wrestling with something. All right. What's that, Rick? Well, I kill people. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I'm going to say that's bad. I'm going to say that, uh, listen, buddy, I don't want to be a judge here, but uh, you can't just kill people. That's not okay. Well, that's just your opinion. All right. So then he goes over to Mary. Hey, Mary, I got something to get off my chest. Well, what's that, Rick? Well, I kill people. Well, Rick, you can't just kill people. That's not, well, that's funny. That's what Lance said. Okay, yeah, because it's not all right. Well, they deserved it. No, you can't do that, right? See, here's the funny thing. We always think of peer pressure in a negative sense. We're like, oh, if everyone's doing drugs, are you going to do, do drugs? If everyone jumps off a bridge, are you going to jump off a bridge, right? Okay, what about good peer pressure? Where all the rest of us are looking at you going, dude, that's a bad idea. <laughs> like, stop killing people. We're not doing that. Okay, we're supposed to be so connected as a family that there is actually a healthy peer pressure that says that behavior is not okay. You're like, get off me. Why are you judging me? No, we're telling you the behavior is unacceptable. I don't know what's going on in your little beanie there, but you got some idea that it's cool and it's not cool. We need to fix this because you're hurting people. Stop doing that. Okay, as long as we keep it up in our head, we feel all right about it. We need to get it out and confess to other people. I'll tell you the importance. It's been said, quote, sins you confess only to God, you tend to repeat. Right? Because we usually go, well, God understands. I'm having a bad day. Right? <laughs> Just because you're having a bad day doesn't mean you get to kill somebody. All right. And I love this, this example. Ready? Who's more likely to cheat a second time on their math test? The kid who confesses their first time to God or the kid who confesses their first time to God and their teacher? Right? If we truly want behavior modification, you can't just keep it, hor uh, can't keep it vertical. Because you're going to talk to God and then you're going to think he understands you're not going to change your behavior. If you talk to God and you talk to us, we're going to hold you accountable and say, that's not okay. That's not healthy. That's not good for you. And isn't that why we don't want to confess to each other? Because yep. we don't want them to make us stop. But what if it's hurting us? 
If we truly want change, we have to involve other people. Now, let me give you some quick rules on confession. You can't just go around and just blurt and vomit on everybody. That doesn't work, right? Here's the deal. Number one, safety. Some people can't handle what you're about to say. If you go to your small group and there are a bunch of folks that are not quite mature and you're like, hey guys, I really gotta get this off my chest. I've been cheating on my taxes the last eight years. And they go around and tell everybody else. That's not safe. That's gonna cause more damage than before. Okay, we have to have safety. We have to be with people who are mature, who are wise enough to give us good feedback and to have a good response, right? The reason you need to confess to a mature person is they don't freak out when you tell them, right? Hey, you know what? I have, I have to tell you something. Well, what do you want to tell me? Well, I know I'm married, but here's the deal. I'm really, really struggling with a, a lady at work and I'm really attracted to her and I'm not sure what to do with it. And the other person goes, oh my gosh. Okay, that's not the person you want to confess to. <laughs> the next thing they say, does your wife know? Okay, well, no, that's why I'm telling you. So, okay, here's the point. The point is we just need them to be able to handle it. We need them to be able to walk through it. Now, I'm going to tell you that believers are best to confess to. Why? Because their Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in you, same Holy Spirit. And so he starts doing some amazing supernatural healing and work doesn't mean that non-believers aren't mature and wise and all that stuff. You can still get good counsel from them. I just think that it's a little better when you share with a believer because they can have a good response from the Lord, right? But we definitely need confidentiality and privacy. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Verse 8, <clears throat> if we say that we have no sin, in other words, if we say that we haven't messed up, that we're not broken, that we haven't done wrong things, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we own it, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everyone, what does all mean in Greek? All, praise the Lord. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we're making him out to be a liar because he told us that we did and his word is not in us. What's the point? Don't play games. Confession isn't telling God something he doesn't know. It is owning up to what he already knows and everybody in heaven knows, right? You're just being truthful. We are all broken people. We're all in process in the Lord's hands like clay. Our job is to be honest as much as we can and let God fix the rest. Anytime you want to come to him, Jesus is waiting for confession. And he has so much forgiveness and so much grace and so much mercy. And I want to tell you one last thing before we wrap. God has an awful lot of patience. You go, well, you know what, Pastor, I actually confessed this last time or I confessed this yesterday or I confessed this three days ago and I'm still doing the same thing. Okay, I get it. You're severely broken. All right, cool. We are. But let me remind you of Luke 17, 3 through 4. Jesus said this to his followers. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the same day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you have to forgive him. Y'all remember this whole 70 times 7 thing? If God has that expectation on human beings to, to forgive that much, how much more does the infinite God? 
Here's my point. You keep coming to him until the Holy Spirit roots it out. He is not growing tired of you coming. He is not angry with you for coming. He knows your brokenness. Just keep coming. Because at some point, it's going to be different. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? We are invited to bring our darkness to God so that we can experience the wholeness that comes from forgiveness. This runs in contrast to what we often see in the culture around us where those in power seek to hide their faults, project invincibility. That sort of deception will not work for them and it will not work for us. Wholeness is found when we honestly confess our sin and receive the forgiveness God offers. Here's how we're going to close the service. We're going to open up the altar. The prayer team is here, and they are ready for confession. Listen, you can come up to this prayer team for anything that you have. You go, you know what? I really need to pray about my mom. Super good. You come up and pray about that. But today, we're also having the altar open just for confession. That means that when you come up to them, here's how you're going to trigger the confession route. You're going to say this phrase, I have something I need to share with you, or I have something I have to get off my chest. That makes them go into one route, and when they go into that route, they're not there to give you advice. They're not there to try to tell you what's wrong with it. They're simply going to remind you of the truth of God, and they're going to pray a cleansing over you. Now, if you just want to pray, they'll go that other route. But once you finish confessing, once you share out and you're saying, I am doing this, they're going to ask you a very critical question. And the very critical question is this, do you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because what you say next is very important. If you say, yes, I do, they're going to remind you of all the glorious freedom of being a child of God. They're going to remind you of His mercy. They're going to remind you of His grace. They're going to remind you of your new identity in the Lord. And then they're going to pray for you. If they ask you that and you say no, you know what they're going to do? They're going to remind you of all His mercy and all of His grace. And they're going to tell you that right now is the beautiful day of your salvation and you don't need to walk out of here anything other than cleansed and whole and healthy and healed. Listen, this, this whole team right here, they came hoping you would come to them and that they on God's behalf, they're not going to cleanse you, but on God's behalf they're going to remind you of what He's truly done and it's extraordinary. Once we finish this time of the altar being open, we're going to have some music playing, kind of like it is right now. And I just ask that all of you, as you leave, just leave in a beautifully respectful fashion, letting everybody kind of consider what's going on. You can hang out a little bit in your chairs and just be praying through some stuff, making sure that you leave with everything off your chest. Now, once you hit the lobby, party's on, game on, right? You can yell and laugh and screw around and all that stuff. That's what church is for. But in this room, in this holy place where the Holy Spirit is walking the aisles, there is freedom. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We praise you. We praise you. And we say right here, God, in this atmosphere of worship, we ask that you would come in mighty with your 
love, that your love would soften our hearts and assure our spirits so much that confession is just natural. We begin to pour it out to you. We begin to pour it out to those people around us that are safe, that, that Lord, that, that all of us would have someone, whether it's this prayer team or it's someone you lay on our heart that we can confess out to so that, God, it's not stuck in our chest anymore. Holy Spirit, may there just be washing and cleansing all across this altar. That, Lord, that every sin that is brought forth and spoken aloud is washed away and never heard from again. You say in your word that our sin as far as the east is from the west and that you cast it away and remember it no more. Lord, would you anoint this prayer team with just the words of soothing and calm, and their prayers would affect heaven. Set us free today in your name that you might be glorified. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.